0: This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, Nathan and I do a whole lot of gloating after the basketball quiz last week. <laughs> More gloating from me as Oral Roberts upsets Ohio State and the NCAA. Two very different examples of divine intervention and round one of the AFL season is in the bag. Good
1: to be back. Let's go. Alright, Stewie, as we do at the top every week. What well, caught your attention? And what'd you miss?
0: Well, a couple of things caught my attention this week. First one, plain and simple: Oral Roberts, baby. <laughs> yes, what did I tell that. you? What did I tell you, man? We'll get that. But no, seriously, like, how many upsets have there been in the first round of the tournament? Oh, we'll get there. First thing I saw on my phone when I woke up: message <laughs> from you, <laughs> all in caps. Oral yeah, Roberts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was stoked. Right. Um, the other thing, though, it's taken a really long time, but finally, I found something I can agree with: Virat Kohli on. Oh, yeah? And that would be getting rid of this rubbish soft call from the umpires in the cricket.
1: Okay. Now,
0: I won't go into the entirety of it, but I've, like, I've said it a number of times. The umpire soft call doesn't mean anything. I'm referencing this super low-down catch that was, quote, taken by David Milan in the fourth T20I between India and England. The guy was 60 metres away. There's absolutely no way he could say with any sort of certainty that a ball was caught, so I don't understand how that was. So, yeah,
1: it's very different to a soft call of a field umpire at the footy standing five metres away compared to a umpire at the cricket standing 60 metres away. And they, and they away. still
0: get it wrong. The well, end. they
1: do, but at least they're
0: close. But, yeah, Coley's saying they need to just get rid of this. It's either out or not out. Send it up to the third umpire, yeah, and yeah. I could not agree more. Yeah. So No, I'm with you. Great to hear Virat making some sense.
1: Indeed. How about yourself, mate? Well, Stewie, we struggle not to include him nearly every week, but it's our old friend Novak again, and this time I actually feel sorry for him. Yeah. It was that crazy plot. So a very beautiful model has been offered 60,000 euro to try and entrap him, basically. There was a plot to try and seduce him, Break to bring him marriage, down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's what caught my attention. But full credit to her, she actually said, no, I'm not going to do that. So. And Well, she actually also came out and said, hopefully no one else will. Mm. <laughs> so clearly someone's got an Instagram. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, that's a bit of a weird one. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I had corporate
0: seats for the Perth Wildcats return home on Friday night against the Cairns Taipans and I had to miss going to the game. Because the stupid temperature over here keeps fluctuating. Oh, mate. Gave me a bloody migraine. So, yeah, Yeah. I get them pretty bad. I didn't want to even tempt fate with free booze and a screaming RAC arena. So, yeah, I had to unfortunately miss that. Made the right call, though. I didn't really see it subside until well after half time, And I was relegated to watching it on KO in bed.
1: Well, thankfully, these days we can get every game on telly, hey? Very, very true. Yeah. What did you miss, Knife? Well, unfortunately, I missed way more of the tournament than I would have liked. Obviously, as I mentioned, we did move last week, so I didn't get in front of the fetch. The internet took a little while to set up, which is, I should mention, partly why last week's episode was uploaded a little bit later than usual. But definitely, we'll have the fetch up and running for this weekend's game, starting with Sweet 16.
0: That's the NCAA basketball tournament. Yes, sorry.
1: Yes, that's right. The bloke's NCAA tournament in the basketball. That is correct. So, Shuey, those that listen to us enough will know that I have a couple of phrases that I like.
0: Well, buried the lead is probably one of your, your main ones.
1: Yeah, my other favourite one is there's a reason they play the games, and we will get to that. But before we get to that, we have to do Just Not Cricket at the start because it is so bizarre. Said something else. <laughs> now, this one comes from the Daily Sun in South Africa. Pastor Christ Penelope of Sevenfold Holy Spirit Ministries in Siadani Village in Guyani Limpopo has been accused of farting on the members of his congregation. Now, the congregation of a church are claiming that he sits on them and farts as a means of healing and blessing them.
0: I can't write this shit.
1: Who would have thought that the Holy Spirit smells like eggs? <laughs>
0: this is just so weird. It's,
1: it's not so... the only pews that are in church there.
0: Well, that is what happens when you fart in church, Nate. You have to sit in your own pew.
1: <laughs> and normally such odors are considered unholy. So you
0: know, oh God, we're going to scrape the bottom of the barrel. This
1: <laughs> we really are. But I'll quote <laughs> bottom. <laughs> I'll quote from the article. Two sources from the church who didn't want to be named for fear of victimisation said they were not happy with what was happening there. They said some people didn't mind, but they couldn't take it. When we come to church, it's because we need prayers, not to be farted on. Said a thirty-year-old man. <laughs> what the pastor has been doing isn't right. He should pray to his God and ask to be given another way of healing people. <laughs> A 40-year-old woman said she stopped attending the church when she saw the pastor sitting and fighting on another member. That's not what I signed for. I need prayers, not fart, she said. So to Father Flatulence, I say, it's just not cricket. All right, Shuri, well, we'll get serious now. We'll change gears pretty quick. We should we <laughs> That one was in lieu of a bloody hell this week, too. I'll
0: tell you what, Nate, it is safe to say that Saturday is exactly why I never usually do footy tipping. (laughs) It makes you second guess whether you know anything about the game at all, but geez, this was a round that had everything massive comebacks, multiple shock upsets, two Brownlow fancies having a line put through them already. Yeah, injuries, suspensions, all sorts. It's uh, been crazy.
1: All right, well, we may as well get it out of the way. What were your tips? How many? Five out of nine. Oh, it's chewy. I
0: drank the Fremantle Kool-Aid, unfortunately, and oh. I thought I didn't read the injury list quite as uh, as well as I should have. And Point know,
1: differential?
0: Uh, point differential, I was only four out. So oh, yeah, good. Okay. Well. Yeah. Tip, tip 29, it was
1: 24.
0: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, with the Dockers and obviously the two upsets and then uh, Essendon losing a big lead against Hawthorne. Oh, that was a
1: crazy game, yeah, that it one. It really was. Like, Essendon kicked seven or eight in a quarter, and then Hawthorne kicked seven or eight right. in a quarter. I got, I got to one yeah, it. yeah, nuts. Well, they're, they're the, the upsets—the only two I dropped. So I had seven this week with a differential of nine. I just dropped the Crows beating Geelong, and by the way, the Corns family have come out and said it's the worst Crows team in 30 years. Oh. <laughs> they're already one and zero. So they're not forget beating last the year? team that that made the uh, grand final, and then the other one I dropped was my Swans beating Brisbane, a uh, prelim finalist. Okay. So. It's a fair tip. There wouldn't have been things. many people in Australia that would have got those two. I
0: wouldn't have That's, And
1: now those two teams square off. Yeah. Swans, Crows next week, so. Well,
0: and Geelong versus Brisbane next That's week. That's true, right? actually.
1: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. so there we go. Right. But it's, well, I think we've got to start with these rule changes, don't we? We alluded to it last week. They didn't actually finalize their concussion slash injury rule that they were speaking of. It was finalized, what, maybe a day before the season kicked off on the Thursday. What is going on?
0: Yeah, geez, if you give people a way to bend the rules for their own game, they will. That's the thing. I mean, we saw it in the first game. Players got fatigued, and fatigue is not an injury.
1: No. it's, it's And we've problem. got to discuss this. So initially, they were saying that if someone got concussed, there would be an emergency player that could come in as a concussion sub. Yep. But then it was extended by Steve Hawking in the rules committee to include injuries, which is a pretty wide you know,
0: yeah. What what's an injury? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm feeling generally sore.
1: And it's let's face it, it comes off the back of Nick Vloston and Gary Ablett Junior. getting injured in the grand final last year. Yeah. Now, was it an overcorrection? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean, those two injuries that you just mentioned. I mean, you could see Ablett's arm was basically falling off, <laughs> <laughs> as just to start things off. So, yeah, I mean, when you look at, as I say, the first game of the round between Richmond and Carlton, both of the injury subs in those, I dare say, were were fraudulent. There was no no real hint of an injury as such. I mean, it, and the thing is, it, it has to be determined by the club's doctor. Yes. Surely they could extend that out to be a neutral doctor.
1: Well, so initially, and, and yes, you're absolutely right. I agree, it should be, because it really puts the club doctor under pressure. It does. Initially, the rule was, if you were subbed off, you wouldn't be able to play for 12 days. Now, that was to do with the concussion thing. And I think that was a good rule for the injury thing. Agree. Because if it was a serious injury, you'd miss 12 days anyway. But if it's spurious, you could be subbed off with a quarter left, get a fresh bloke on. If he's a midfielder, you could dominate the midfield for the final quarter. And, oh, lo and behold, injured bloke comes again and plays next week.
0: This is kind of the Rishabh Pant rule <laughs>
1: that we talked about, where,
0: where, yeah, it's it's not a, a serious enough injury to keep you out for the next week. So, I I must have they're a part of the game. They, they are. Yeah, and and that's what I'm what I'm sort of saying is I honestly think a lot of the the ones that you will see will just come down to guys that aren't conditioned properly. So they'll go off. They'll, they might have really bad cramps and. Find a way to go off. Oh, the doctors said it was a potential strain of a calf or yeah, something like that. Yeah,
1: or an ankle. You know, yeah. it's easy to say you hurt your ankle.
0: So yeah, I agree with you entirely. I think twelve days is that's fair. You
1: yeah, know, you if come. you're going to be subbed off for an injury, you then you should miss a game. At least a game. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And
1: Otherwise, I, you're just taking the piss.
0: And how many of those will come back and play next week? Who knows? But
1: The, yeah. the thing that baffles me about this is that normally really significant... This is a significant rule change. Huge, eh? Normally, these things go through long processes. You know, this is the sort of thing that they should have mooted and then looked at introducing it next season. The fact that they brought this in so quickly... i, I tell you what. For all the good he's done, Gil McLaughlin has a few red marks next to his name the last couple of seasons, yep. too. I can't believe he signed off on this.
0: And, and there's there's a lot of talk that this could potentially also be an overreaction to the fact that they're extending the quarters out to 20 minutes. Yes,
1: that's true. They're back out to four quarters are, again. You
0: know, are they worried that there could be a lot of soft tissue injuries? Let's kind of have a way out of that sort of thing. So, look, I don't think
1: it's the right call necessarily, but... Were you okay with just the concussion, sub? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. If we're protecting the head, I was okay with that. Yeah, I did not like the idea of extending it out to injury.
0: We'll, we'll definitely, you know, we'll talk about it more obviously as we talk about Paddy Dangerfield suspension in a bit. Yes, minute, but, yes. But yeah, anything involving head injuries is definitely something you've got to look after. And I, I couldn't agree more that yeah, have that for the for the concussions. They've already put the protocol in that they have to take a twelve day break anyway, so it fits in perfectly with what that rule's all
1: about. Yeah. It's going to be a massive point of contention for the rest of the season. And you could easily see a team taking the piece and injecting a fresh bloke onto the field, and it's not equitable at all. It's actually... The team that doesn't have an injured player is actually the team on the back foot. Yeah, And it's it's not fair. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Speaking of contentious, the man on the mark rule. Oh, yes, yes. What are your thoughts? Well, clearly it's there for increasing scoring, as I mentioned in previous weeks, leagues around the world are obsessed with increased scoring, which is a very narrow-minded way of looking at things. Sometimes a defensive tussle can actually be a really great game of any given sport. I don't love it. I think it favors the blokes that have a bit of a natural arc on their kick. So if you're kicking for goal, some blokes will really benefit from it. I think a lot of guys will just
0: develop a, a natural arc
1: over the course Well, maybe.
0: This is the thing. They were saying that certain guys who they, quote, know have a natural arc, looking at like a Buddy, Buddy Franco, yeah, for yeah. example, yep, yep. are allowed to do this and get away with it more. No, fuck that. Go back over the marking, take a straight line, and yep. kick a goal.
1: Well, and did you see the Ollie Wines one? He basically tripped back one step. What and he, they called a 50? he,
0: he took a half step because he was going to jump. Yeah. And, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a second as well because there's a couple of those. But. Yeah. Okay, I'm kind of on the fence a little bit with this. I know what they're going for. I think they've taken it a little bit too far. So, if, as you mentioned before, it's all about, yeah, freeing up the game and the scoring. If you look at teams rebounding from their defensive 50 to forward 50, 29.7% of those attacks actually allowed the, the team to go from end to end in the first round. Compare that to 23.7 in round one 2016, 24.8 the next year, 25.5, and so on. So it's gone up quite considerably in that first round. Mm. They've said stoppages were down quite considerably. Contested possessions were down. Kicking efficiency was back to levels they haven't had since 2017.
1: So Well, maybe it's done what they want it to do.
0: So, so I get that, and that's, that's a great byproduct of what they've done. But what I'm saying is keeping players from moving side to side yeah. is fine. I don't have a problem with that. But when they're penalising guys for going backwards and forwards, Sam Petreski, Seaton got done for it in the Carlton game, cost them a goal. You mentioned the Ollie one. The Ollie, the Ollie team, Wines one. I mean, that was... 30 metres out, so it would have probably been a goal anyway. It probably but, but would have, but serving. there was nothing
1: in it, you know. Like... There's got to be a bit of leeway, surely.
0: And even going back to the preseason, Brennan Cox got a 50-meter penalty for turning his back.
1: Yeah, that's outrageous.
0: So these are the sorts of things that I think most of the fans will be outraged by. There's no need for it. If you're going backwards and forwards in a straight line, as long as you're not going over the mark, it really shouldn't matter too much. I don't think I get it they're trying to free up the game but yeah
1: Is it something that you could do around the grounds but not when shooting for goal or is that too too radical I think yeah. it's
0: probably maybe not necessary. I, I just as I say just keep it simple Yeah. all of this talk that you know, if you're going to go backwards you've got to go backwards five metres these players can't hear over the top of the crowds you know, you look at what happened at well, Stadium. Well, umpires
1: was, can't fucking judge metres anyway, well, can they? They'll well, pay a mark off a kick that goes four. I was thinking that <laughs> before. <But>, um, <laughs> it was only a matter of time before yeah, I bang that drum. It was.
0: But no, I mean, Optus Stadium had, what, 43,000 people at the Eagles game? I don't well, know. and they're
1: up to 75% capacity in Melbourne next next round. So
0: that could easily be close to 70, 75%. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, that's more than most stadiums around Australia. How are you going to hear At that? the G. And that, yeah. like,
0: this is the problem. So, yeah, I, I definitely think they've either got... The umpires have got to make better position and make sure that they can actually see the, the play-on symbol with their hands because quite often you can see the hands moving, but they don't call play-on for even a few tenths of a second. That's enough for a player to get a kickoff. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think... It's an okay rule, but I don't think they've quite ironed it out properly yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, as I alluded to at the top there, there's a reason they play the games. There were some very interesting ones. New season, clean slate. It's that old thing where teams don't know their crap yet sometimes, but... uh,
0: (laughs) I love love that. The
1: first round is always one of the hardest to tip. Yeah.
0: Tell me about it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm
0: hoping it gets easier, but... uh, no, nah, obviously the two games, Adelaide-Geelong was an absolute cracker and obviously seeing your Swans do such a great job against Brisbane.
1: Oh, it was a great game. I mean, there was a period, and look, there's three ready-made players injected to, into the team straight away and Braden Campbell, Errol Gordon, and Logan McDonald. And there was actually a play in the game where it went Campbell to Gordon, Gordon to McDonald along the wing. I was like, wow, like this is the future right here. Yeah. And then you add blokes like Callum Mills who are a year older, a year wiser. So yes, I think the Swans, you know, let's let's not get too over the top of a very small sample size. But going up to Brisbane and having a win is pretty good. And it was a big win too.
0: Well, a couple of key things I took away from the game, Tom Hickey, twenty three to spot. He was
1: excellent. Nine clearances. He was excellent. Yep. Which I I thought was, yep. was
0: superb. Twenty three to five marks inside forward fifty, that's a pretty telling stat. And 75% kicking efficiency for the Swans. That's something that you probably haven't seen for a couple oh, of years. Oh, well, months.
1: and like I say, those three young blokes are ready to go. They are senior footy players already. Yep. So Brisbane went bang, 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 kicked three goals in about two minutes. And then the Swans outscore them the rest of the way, 19 goals to 11. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah.
0: And, and, nice, and nice and accurate as well. Yeah, nice very crisp. 11.
1: Yep, yep. It's
0: a, it's a good start. And then obviously the fact that Franklin will be back next week. We yep. don't know what you're going to get out of him. No. But, look, he's obviously a phenomenal goal kicker. He's one of the top 10 all-time. He's, he's, oh, yeah, definitely. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, up, yeah.
0: Up around the, the 900 mark. Yeah. So, yep. uh, so, yeah, look, it, it's definitely a, a huge boost. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the Swans would probably go in as red-hot favorites against the Adelaide Crows, who are the other team that we should probably talk yeah, well,
1: about. Well, I mean, that that one, I thought it was a misprint. Like I say, the Corns family have been spruiking how it's the worst Crows team in 30 years. Daisy Thomas said they wouldn't win a game this season on Triple M. It's proving there's a reason they play the games.
0: Yeah, look, I never would have thought that they would go winless. I definitely thought they were a team that would be potentially going to rise a little bit. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very hard to go winless. It's as hard to go winless as it is to go undefeated. I would
0: suggest so, yeah. Look, the first time a grand finalist has been beaten by a previous wooden spooner since 1971. Wow. So a long, long time. But, geez, how good was Tex Walker?
1: It's funny you say that, actually, Stewie. There's a few blokes that a lot of people, ourselves included, were speculating might have been over the hill, like Jack Rewald, who ended up having really good games in round one to kind of say, hold on, we're not done yet.
0: Yeah, well, I think what you'll find, actually, is that someone like Tex Walker and probably Rewald to an extent as well will actually benefit from this new man on the mark rule. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it allows yeah. them to lead up, which is something they both do quite well. Yep. I mean, five goals for Tex, eighteen touches, seven marks, two goal assists. We haven't seen that sort of game from him since probably twenty seventeen. Yeah. Like he yeah. hasn't played that well. Look, it's great to see. It's great to see that we may have a lot more parity in the league in terms of not so many of these lower teams. I look North Melbourne looked rubbish, but I mean they were playing port, so mm. it's hard to know exactly how that would uh, how that would go. Oh, I,
1: don't, I don't anticipate North will be that great this year.
0: No, I don't think so either. But look, I mean, I thought Hawthorne would be rubbish and they've pulled off a, a great win.
1: Yeah, well, actually, I actually thought those two teams would be pretty similar. So it's, a, it's funny that one point separated them.
0: <laughs> yeah, true. Just quickly, the hawthorne Essendon game, biggest comeback in Alistair Clark since tenure. Okay. That surprised me a little bit. I mean, I know obviously the Hawks have been brilliant for most of the time he's been there, but you surely would have thought... There would have been one of these games. Yeah, there. okay. Like yeah. Back. But, Interesting. But I thought that was that was great. Did you see him in there singing the, the song after the game?
1: Can't say that I did, mate. I, I did actually catch it on the radio, though. Well, I
0: will say this. He definitely doesn't look like somebody who doesn't want to be there late. Like,
1: yeah, right.
0: He was in there screaming it at the top of his lungs, just like the players were. So I thought, Nothing
1: like a good comeback.
0: No, nah, definitely. That was, that was good stuff. Speaking of comebacks, how was Ben McAvoy's comeback to the umpire? Got whistled for a throw. He'd basically done a little backhand sort of tunnel ball, flicked it up. It, it was a throw, I thought. But he's uh, yeah, he's basically been whistled for it. And McAvoy has said to him, he said, mate, that's what I do for a living. Oh, yeah, I did see that.
1: <laughs> uh, well, that's, careful, mate. They might start pinging you more often.
0: How's <laughs> that, that, though? Comeback of the year in the comeback of the yeah, year. Yeah, well, there you go. There and you go. So, yeah, look, some really, really great footy. Unfortunately, there has been a couple of not-so-great incidents that have happened. We'll start yeah. off with the, the Paddy Dangerfield suspension. What were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, look, we got three weeks for a, bump, a late bump, it's got to be said, leaving Jake Kelly obviously very much worse for wear. Paddy's defence, I think it's easy to review something at 30 frames per second. I think as much as you have a duty of care to look after the health and safety of others around you, you've got to look after yourself as well.
0: So playing the victim card, basically.
1: Well, look, the thing is, he'd already handballed it when he got there. And look, it is quick. It is bang, bang. And he, look, there is some truth to what he's saying. We do look at slow-mo and stuff maybe a little bit too much without considering the context of real time. But he had an opportunity. He could have either tackled or he could have just done nothing. Because like I say, Kelly had already handballed it. It was late.
0: Yeah. I think three weeks is right. Again, I go back to what I've been saying for weeks. If we are serious about protecting the head... Yes, yep. And, you know, when you consider, again, all of the stuff that's happened around concussions, these blokes, look at Spud Frawley who, you know, his brain was all sorts of mush by the time he, he was done because of all the CTA, concussions. Yeah yeah, 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 Shane Tuck, I think, was another one. There's, there's been so many guys that have suffered from this. If we are legitimately keeping the head as... Being sacred, you've got to make an example. It doesn't matter if it's Patty Dangerfield or freaking Jesus. Like you've got to make the call.
1: Pastor, uh, whatever. Yeah, his pastor name
0: is. Fartface or face. Yeah, his name yeah. Is.
1: So- like I think they were probably trying to make an example out of him. His defence person said, "Look, it's not nearly as bad as that Jeremy Cameron one, and he got five weeks." But the thing is, that was a few years ago. Well, three things is- change. Three is less than five. Well, it is. So I mean, that incident was a lot oh, worse. It was hideous. Yeah. absolutely hideous. But. Times are changing. Yep. And yes, precedent's important, but we're moving in the direction of pretty much outlawing the bump, it's got to be said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then I guess from obviously the unfortunate bump and suspension, we've also got to talk about a couple of pretty big injuries from the first round. Obviously, the first one is Brownlow Smoky Matt Rau.
1: Yeah, it's just heartbreaking. Is that the 19-year-old has now played four games in two years because of injury?
0: Two of them against the Eagles as well. Yeah, that's
1: true. Actually, that's true. Uh, nah. The good news is it's only a PCL and it's ten to twelve weeks, but that's still half a season.
0: Well, exactly. So. And
1: that uh, you know that could be the difference between finals or no finals because he is an exceptional young talent. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't pick him for the Brownlow.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, it's definitely a better case scenario. Because when he hit the ground, I, I thought straight away, you could see the way the knee dug in. Oh, it's, and he
1: was very dejected it's too.
0: Screamed ACL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Not not the worst news, I guess, which is which is good. So he's he's going to avoid surgery, which is another good thing.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: And then I guess the other one is uh, Fremantle Docker Alex Pierce. He's a, a real hard luck story as well. He's just come back off an entire season out, and uh, he's
1: mate more than that. His last game was in twenty nineteen.
0: So just, don't, yeah, just yeah. over a full season. So yeah. strained MCL on the left knee. He'll miss up to two months. But again, like Rowles, it probably should have been a lot worse. And unfortunately, it adds to an injury list for Fremantle that probably includes 10 guys that would make their best
1: 22. And Joel Hamling, who also got done in that game, who's out for four to eight weeks, they're saying. So again, the defense is decimated. It's The poor Dockers have just been so snake-bitten by injury. Yeah. And again, another team that would have had finals aspirations that are maybe disappearing in their face before the season even gets out of second gear. So going forward, Shui, it's looking like a bit of a tipper's nightmare, actually. (laughs) It's a lot of pretty evenly uh, contested teams. There
0: really are. Look, Carlton Collingwood, it's great to obviously have that on, on Thursday night. You've obviously got, yeah, the Brisbane and Geelong game on Friday huge,
1: night. Huge. One of those teams will be oh and 2 after it, and it could well be Geelong without Paddy Dangerfield.
0: It could be. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing the Eagles play the Bulldogs over in Melbourne. I think that could be an absolute crack. Oh,
1: yeah, big time.
0: And who would have thought Adelaide and Sydney would be a game to watch as well? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, can't wait for Daylight Savings to finish because it's a bloody ten thirty game. I hate those 10-30 games in <laughs> Perth. Look, That's- it's, it's just great to have footy back, finally. Amen.
0: And now, this week in Sport History. March 23rd, 1980, Australian cricket captain Alan Border becomes the first and only batsman to this day to reach 150 runs in each innings of a test, with 150 not out and 153 in the third test versus Pakistan in Lahore, which ended in a draw. Pakistan used nine bowlers in the first innings and ten in the second, and it's actually the same series we mentioned in a previous episode about wicketkeeper Rod Marsh bowling 10 overs in the second test.
1: By the way, I think I said he bowled leggies. He actually bowled offies. Oh, he bowled spin. He bowled spin. Yeah.
0: Uh, this, this is something you could see Steve Smith doing someday, but, Jesus, uh, a tough feat.
1: Absolutely. That's very impressive. Also March 23, 2003, Wanderers Stadium, Johannesburg. The final of the Cricket World Cup sees Australia defend their title by annihilating India. Ricky Ponting scored 140 not out as the Aussies made two for 359 and then proceeded to bowl out India for 234 with just over 10 overs remaining. The interesting thing about this run chase, though, was that had India not been bowled out, the remaining 10 overs would have included at least six from either Darren Lehman or Andrew Simons. It's got to be said, though, that that would have been factored in to the defence.
0: Uh, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, They'd bowl out all the, all the quicks trying to put... The well, they smell the blood. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: March 24, 1985, Englishman Norman Gifford makes his one-day international cricket debut at the age of 44 years and 359 days in Sharjah as part of the Rothmans Four Nations Cup. He actually came in as captain of the side as well, but unfortunately for he and England, the Aussies won off the last ball of the match before losing to India in the final Gifford's the second oldest man to make his ODI debut, with the record being held by Nolan Clark from the Netherlands. He played his debut at the '96 World Cup against New Zealand at the age of 47
1: <laughs> and 240 days. Yeah, well, those associate teams.
0: He opened the batting, made 14, as New Zealand won by 119 runs, so it didn't go quite so well. His other three matches in the tournament were Ducks against England in the UAE and four against Pakistan, so not a great tournament at all. But... He actually played in 2005 for VVV Amsterdam in the Hoofdklasse in uh, in the Netherlands, which is their top level of domestic cricket, at the age of 56.
1: <laughs> Again, I think it shows how many people play cricket over there.
0: But he made 782 runs in the tournament. Yeah, well, hey,
1: that's so he, a He played well. Probably lots of boundaries and not much running. Well, probably. And, yeah. of course, former Victorian paceman Dirk Nannis suited up for the Netherlands at one stage. He did. In a T20 World he Cup, did. I think it was. Yep. March 26, 1959, Pakistani cricketer Mushtaq Muhammad makes his test debut at the tender age of 15 years and 124 days. It wasn't a great test for Pakistan, with the team losing to the Windies by an innings and 156 runs, but the record lasted nearly 40 years until another Pakistani, Hassan Raza, debuted at 14 years and 227 days in 1996 against Zimbabwe. The 20 youngest players ever to debut were from the subcontinent, with 11 of them, so more than half Pakistani.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing thing they do out of the subcontinent, just getting these players in young, and, and they're all talented. Well, imagine <sighs> us 14. 14, yeah.
1: Far out. Barely had pubes.
0: <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I barely do now. <laughs> March 28th, 1955, New Zealand are dismissed for an all-time record low of just 26 runs against England at Eden Park. England led the match after the first innings by just 46, but the Kiwis didn't even get close, with only one batsman reaching double figures, opener Bert Sutcliffe, who made 11. South Africa actually owned the five next worst scores before Australia's thirty six in the 1902 Ashes and the thirty six India made just over three months ago.
1: The day we bought this house. There you go. So I'll never forget it.
0: That's a great day. Yeah. This week in sport history.
1: So, Shoei Basketball, we can't go any further than uh, talking about that quiz we attended last week.
0: Yeah, we, we need a bit of a humble brag yeah? <laughs> here. So anyone who was dying to know after last week how we went, we
1: absolutely smashed it. Yeah, but that's because it was piss easy.
0: It, it, well, to us it was piss easy, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. So look, officially we came second after a tiebreaker, but... Each round had a drawing question that was worth a total of five points. None of our guys in our team could draw at all, so we ended up getting two points for that out of a possible five. And the team that beat us in the tiebreaker, they got five. So if you're talking purely for you know basketball and, questions, and
1: the bloody tiebreaker was throwing a piece of paper into a can as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. So
1: yeah, so on knowledge we would have won. By, on drawing and throwing bits of paper, we came second.
0: We well definitely. by
1: virtue of that tiebreaker.
0: And honestly, we we spoke about this on the night, you or I would have probably come second or probably equal first actually on our own.
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah, it was too easy. It, it was too easy. It was. Yeah.
0: It was. But Good fun still. Yeah. Catching up with a few mates, a few beers, good times.
1: It was patties, a few Guinnesses.
0: Uh, that's true. That's
1: Although true. that's no different to a normal pub night for me, it's always Guinnesses I go to.
0: So, no, for a fair bit to cover in the NCAA, obviously March Madness has well and truly kicked off. and absolute madness everywhere. We spoke last week about brackets. I dare say no one's bracket would have survived the first day of the tournament. There were that many
1: boil overs. Yeah, well, that's right. So three games went to OT on day one. So it was very exciting to kick off the tournament proper after the playing games. How's this? Higher seeds only won 10 of the 16 games on day one with upsets in a 15v2, a 13v4, a 12v5, an 11v6, a 10v7 and a 9v8 matchup. Bit less of a... Upset, but still the lower seed winning. And it's the first time the MIAC and SWAC conferences won a game in the same tournament. So good on them. A bit more parity in the in the competition. So
0: for people who don't know MIAC and SWAC, they are?
1: Yes, yeah, sorry, Stu. Good point. So the Mid-Eastern Athletic and the Southwestern Athletic conferences there. That's that's right. And then the other thing from day one that I found interesting was the Texas teams were 5-0. and And after some pretty tough times there in Texas with that horrible weather and stuff, that probably would have been a nice little reprieve for the people of that state. So, day two was equally as interesting, but kind of for different reasons. So, as we talked about last week, there was a cancellation in the end. Oregon v. VCU was cancelled due to VCU players getting COVID. Now, Oregon got an automatic buy into the second round, and it actually served them very well in the end, because they upset two-seed Iowa 95-80 to on the back of a 56-point first half today. So, that free hit was definitely a good thing. But ironically, the early conference tournament might have been what undid VCU. So they shared a hotel with members of the public who apparently were walking around without wearing masks and this, that and the other. And sure enough, multiple players got COVID and they just they had to call it quits on them. That's so the only game
0: of the first round. Yeah, yeah. But
1: it's really interesting. The CBS on College Basketball guys said, if you are going to get a bit into the tournament, you should have skipped your conference tournament. And I dare say maybe VCU, if they had their time again, they might have tried to do that. Oh, absolutely. A couple of other really interesting things. Florida State beat Greensboro without making a three-pointer. They were 0 of 9. That's very rare in the modern game. Very rare indeed. Gonzaga, Kansas, and Villanova are the only teams to make the second round in seven straight tournaments. Particularly impressive for Villanova, who are missing Gillespie, their best player. Mm. But I know that you're really interested in the upsets, That's so really I'll just read some things before I let you tee off. Long. So it was actually the first time ever that at least four teams seeded 13th or lower made the second round. And there was a 14v3 upset with Abilene Christian defeating Texas 53-52 with a 58% free throw shooter sinking two shots to seal the win. Now, a lot of people actually had Texas as a final four and possibly even a championship team.
0: I believe you should show some respect to my man Joe Pleasant,
1: who's a 59% free oh, <laughs> Rounded up probably <laughs> no,
0: no, well,
1: uh, yeah, yeah but apparently it was a really ugly game because Abilene Christian the winning team they were the winning team and they shot just 30 percent from the floor and 16 percent from three. The sad thing about that though is it does signal the end of Andrew Jones's tournament and he's an amazing story so he actually got leukemia it was looking like he was never going to play again and he beat it and now he's one of their best players as a junior. And there was a fascinating thing they did on SportsCenter where he was practicing on a ring in the hospital to aid his recovery. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a really lovely story, Andrew Jones, for those that are interested. But anyway, I know you want to tee off on the upsets. Look,
0: he he had a great game for the record. Before I, I get into, I guess, the specifics, one of the things that I have noticed, I guess, is if you are one of those seeds, you know, the 15, 16 sort of guys, there's a few keys to winning these games. You've got to play amazing defense. You've got to take care of the ball. Turnovers are absolutely paramount. And even then, you've still got to get a little bit lucky. Now, I can actually use that Abel Christian versus Texas game as an example. So if you talk about the turnovers, Abel Christian forced 20.3 turnovers a game, which is the most in the NCAA. They also have a plus 6.4 turnovers margin on their opponents, best in the NCAA. Mm -hmm. Turnover count for the game, Texas 23, which is a season high. Abel Christian only eleven. Mm. And fittingly, this game finished up with a Texas turnover on oh, a yes, indeed, path. Yeah, But what I what I love about this is yeah, obviously you mentioned the free throws, that's a little bit of luck that you've got in there. But this team has two guys Damian Daniels, who is barely six foot tall, and a guy named Reggie Miller, who's five foot seven.
1: They're actually the shortest team in the tournament.
0: They look like NBA yeah. Jam Tournament Edition with mugs <laughs> and Like these guys, uh, and they're, they're like 150 pounds wet. Like yeah, these guys yeah. are tiny.
1: Oh, it's incredible!
0: But they played with more heart than you will see from anyone in this tournament. Honestly, like Reggie Miller would have been blocked about four or five times going to the hoop. He finished the game one of ten from the field. The one make that he had was an and one with a couple of minutes left that was crucial to the result. So. I will actually dispute your comment about this being an ugly game. I really enjoyed it as a purist.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I didn't actually see it. It was the CBS, Ion College Basketball Sports that yeah. said it was an ugly game. So.
0: The shooting was terrible, yes, but the excitement because of the fact it was a one-point game or, a, or certainly a one-possession game for most of the match.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I thought it was a great game yeah. to watch, actually. And obviously, the Fair fact enough. that it ended up as as this amazing upset is is great. 14 seeds before that were just 21 and 119 against three seeds. The other one obviously I have to talk about are oh, Roberts. <laughs> of course. That they they've done it twice, you know. They've managed to beat Ohio State and Florida. Their defense has been exceptional. The Buckeye's which is Ohio State, 5 of 23 from 3. The Florida Gators were 7 of 22, so both below average. Oral Roberts won the forced turnovers category 16-6 to against Ohio State and 19-11 against Florida. And Ohio State still had a shot at the end of regulation to win it and a shot at the end of overtime to tie it. And Florida had a chance to tie and take the lead late in that game as well. So they've rode their luck. They've played defense. It's been superb to
1: watch. And this is why they call it March Madness. Single elimination tournaments just always bring out chaos. It's great. Yep.
0: One of the other really interesting things that I noticed, obviously, was Virginia, the four seed and the reigning champions being knocked out in the first round.
1: They did have COVID issues. It's a, it's a miracle they even got to play and they were unable to train for 10 straight days. So that would have contributed.
0: But only the fourth reigning national champions get knocked out in the round of 64. What would the odds have been that Ohio would have won in the first round and Ohio State would have lost given the seedings?
1: Yes, pretty small
0: A 13 seed winning and a 2 seed losing, it's it's nuts
1: Well, and how's this? So by the end of day 3, so before the second round was even over There had already been a record 11 upsets And the NCAA defines an upset as a team that's seeded at least 5 spots lower than the team that they beat So if you think of a lower seed beating a higher seed, like the 9v8 one, there's been even more A couple of other notes before we get to the stories from today, which was day 4 Projected number one overall pick in the upcoming draft, Cade Cunningham's tournament's over, sadly. He himself played pretty well, but his team couldn't last. Jim Bayheim get this, so the coach of Syracuse, and he's been the coach of Syracuse for a very long time. He is 9-2 as a double-digit seed. Wow. Now, they're notorious for being a team that starts slow and then picks up as the conference and then NCAA tournament happen, but that's an incredible Incredible record.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, they've knocked off what well, San Diego State, the sixth seed, and then the three seed, West Virginia. So they've got Houston now, who's the two seed. So, yeah, they've had some good results as an 11th. And that's seed.
1: that's a big game. A lot of people have Houston as a sneaky title chance, actually. But last week I mentioned that there's always one player that bolts up the draft board. It could actually be Syracuse's own Buddy Bayheim the son of Coach Jim, and he was only probably still in nappies when Jim Beheim won the tournament with that Carmelo Anthony, Hakeem Warwick, etc. Et Johnny Flynn team. Obviously, Carmelo didn't play in the NBL, but those other two blokes did, just for those that are NBL fans. So in his last six games, 26 points, 17 points, 27 points, 31, 30, and 25. He was projected as a late second-rounder at best. I dare say if they get at least one more win, he could bolt up the draft board.
0: Well, it's interesting. He's had actually 13 threes through his first two games, which is tied for third all-time, one behind second place and three behind the all-time leader. So he's actually tied with Steph Curry, who had that amazing run with Davidson back there in 2008. Go. So he's playing some amazing ball. And, look, sometimes it's uh, it's nice to be the coach's son. You get a, a few extra looks. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Now, Nate, one of the horrible things that we've got to talk about, unfortunately, are these death threats that – Ohio State forward EJ Liddell has posted on on his social medias people making homophobic and racial slurs towards him.
1: Well, and even physical threats. So, yeah, speaking of the Oral Roberts game, he actually missed the front end of a one and one which pretty much meant that they lost in that game. But, jeez, he played right up to that. 23 points, 14 rebounds, and 5 assists. I think he did his job. And, by the way, these guys are amateurs. They're not getting paid money. Why the hell are these keyboard warriors... Giving threats of physical violence. It's disgraceful. Yeah,
0: the, the guile of this kid to intentionally miss a free throw. Oh.
1: Like, and he was dejected. Like, clearly he wanted to make it, obviously.
0: Grow a fucking brain, basically. Yeah. Like, it's its
1: it. just disgusting. Uh,
0: but you're right. Like, this, unfortunately, is the day and age that we live in where people hide right behind their keyboard. Yeah, they feel like they can do. It. I, I dare these people to walk up to this bloke and say it to his face because he is a tank. Oh,
1: exactly. And they wouldn't. And that's the thing.
0: But obviously, you know, he's now doing the right thing and posting it for everyone to see, which I think is, is the right thing to do. Yep, good on him. You know, there, there used to always be this thing in school, oh, you never tattle, you never, no, fuck that. Yep. You tell everyone that you can possibly tell that these people are the dickheads that they are. Yep. that They deserve to be named and shamed, quite and, frankly. And it's
1: bad enough trolling professionals. You should not be trolling young people who are amateurs. Yeah, it's not, even, not good enough. They're
0: not making money. I, yeah. look, there's a fair chance that he probably won't make the NBA. So a lot of these players... Yeah, that's his
1: career. That might be the last big game he ever plays in, apart from pickup or whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean, he may end up overseas. You know, he looks like a pretty decent player. But you're right, like, uh, it's just it, it boggles the mind that people feel that this is something that they need to do, you know don't come back onto the Ohio State campus because we'll be waiting for
1: you. Yeah, you wouldn't have even got to the tournament if it weren't for him. Exactly. Like, it's, yeah.
0: Here's a thought, champ. Here's a ball. Stand at the free throw line with that pressure and you try and make a couple. Exactly. Now, sadly, from one fairly unacceptable topic to another, we've got to talk a little bit about the inequality in the game between the men and the women. So one of the really, really interesting posts that I saw was from Oregon forward, Sedona Prince, and she was talking about a lot of the different parts of inequality so the first thing and the, the really big thing that she highlighted in her videos and her posts was to do with the training facilities now if you look at the men's tournament that being played in indianapolis at the moment the women's has been played in san antonio yes and they sort of showed the difference between the men's rooms and the women's rooms in terms of the weights now the men's weights room looked like you could help hold a convention in there it was huge They have all this state-of-the-art stuff for the women's, they basically had one small weights rack, basically mm-hmm. maybe 10 kilo maximum for the entire field to share. Now, the NCAA turned around and said, oh, it wasn't to do with money, it was to do with the space. But she's then shown a video that shows behind that weight table, basically, there's an entire football field worth of space with nothing in it. Mm-hmm. So it's just complete bullshit. Yeah, not good enough. And unfortunately, you know, the NCAA has then had to come out and apologize and say, look, we got it wrong, but... It's it's just not good enough. You know, apparently the, the quality of the rooms that the girls are staying in is not great. The quality of the food isn't as good as what the men are getting. This is 2021, yeah, Like, yeah. it ain't good enough. Mm.
1: Good thing about today in San Antonio, though, all the Spurs players were wearing jerseys from prominent female players as they walked into Oh, that's cool. I saw someone wearing a Rebecca Lobo. I'm not actually sure who it was because I couldn't see his face. I think it might have been Jacob oh, nice. But uh, yeah, that's not good enough. No. That's not good enough. We will finish the NCAA tournament on a nice note, though, Stewie. Sister Jean's done it again. The mascot Sister of Loyola Chicago. I've got to read her prayer because it's almost got a scouting report in it. Get okay. this. As we play the Fighting Illini, we ask for special help to overcome this team and get a great win. We hope to score early and make our opponents nervous. We have a great opportunity to convert rebounds as this team makes about 50% of layups and 30% of it's three points. Our defence can take care of that.
0: Thank goodness that the Lord is a a fan of my old Divine intervention. (laughs)
1: Uh, I always found praying for sporting events the weirdest thing ever. It really
0: is. It's amazing to still see her out there. What is she, 101?
1: 101, yep.
0: Well... Loyola Chicago is as good a chance as any team, quite frankly. Well,
1: things have opened up for them with the one, three, four, five, six, and 7 seed already gone on their side of the bracket. So absolutely, the prayers could come true.
0: Well, two of those are thanks to them.
1: Yeah, well, that's true. That is true.
0: But no, brilliant, brilliant stuff.
1: So, Stewie, unfortunately, we've got to start our little NBA segment with some sad news, and that's the passing of yet another Hall of Famer. And unfortunately, it's par for the course, given the ages of some of these guys, Elgin Baylor.
0: Yes, Minneapolis and Los Angeles, Laker legends, one of the the greatest players of all time. There's so many things you can say about this guy, but I guess the stats probably speak fairly highly for him. 11-time All-Star, 10-time All-NBA team, Rookie of the Year, NBA 50th anniversary team, the third highest points per game average in NBA history, ahead of guys like Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Allen Iverson. The eleventh highest rebounds per game average, ahead of guys like Dennis Rodman, Willis Reed, Elvin Hayes. And he was
1: six foot five. Six
0: foot five.
1: Yep. So I've got a great tweet here from former Lakers player Michael Thompson, and he's talking about Chick Hearn, the commentator who commentated for a very long time and saw a lot of Lakers games. I really thought Chick was going to answer Wilt or Kareem, but he said Elgin was the best player he had ever seen. Are you guys aware? as a 6 foot 5 player, one season Elgin averaged 38 and 20. 38 and freaking 20. Guys today can't do that for a week.
0: I mean, if you look at players with multiple seasons of 30 plus points and 18 plus rebounds a game in NBA history, it's Wilt Chamberlain who was 7 foot 1 and this guy Elgin Baylor, 6, six five. foot 5, yeah. Only 5 guys actually have a better career best single season rebounding average than Baylor you got five guys who are 6'8 and above. Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Nate Thurman, Jerry Lucas and Bob Pettit. The guy was a phenomenon. Very unfortunate to miss out on championships. but
1: Lived and breathed basketball. Worked as a president and GM and other roles, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, yeah. had a very illustrious career in the NBA in various roles. Rest in peace, uh, Absolutely. So, some big injuries to people with an L on the front of their name, be it let or la. Shooey.
0: Yeah, look, Kevin Durant. <laughs> no, uh, obviously the, the big news in the league right now is the massive ankle injury to LeBron James. It's got him out indefinitely. I did find it interesting, though. He stayed in the game until he had 10 points.
1: <laughs> kind of
0: extended his streak a little bit longer. Yeah, okay. But look, Anthony Davis might still be out for three weeks. The Lakers have three losses ahead of the Spurs in the seven seed. Wow, is that all? Only three losses. Gee. And if you look at their next three weeks, you're looking at Philadelphia, Milwaukee, the Clippers, Miami, Brooklyn, and a Ouch. bunch of other fringe playoff teams. Wow. Like, without those two guys, it's it's conceivable they could lose games to Cleveland and Sacramento. Can you imagine
1: that roster being in a play-in game?
0: It could be. It, it could it's happen. Conceivable. Yeah, yeah, wow. There's all this talk about them not wanting to rush AD back.
1: I mean, does this change anything? Well, the pressure's on, isn't it? They might have to rush him back quicker. It depends how the next few weeks go, but jeez. Based on that schedule, it could be pretty lean for them.
0: Yeah. Now, I guess the other key talking point off the back of that is how firmly linked to the Lakers Andre Drummond now is.
1: How much is he going to help without LeBron or AD, though, you know?
0: But I guess if you plug him into the starting lineup, he's pretty much going to do what he did in Detroit. He's yeah. He's going to rebound the ball at a high level. If they can get him in some reasonable pick and rolls, he could be effective. But, yeah, look, it's it's putting a Band-Aid over a, <laughs> over a, a cut-off limb, basically. Yeah, Oh,
1: well, it makes the season... Even more interesting, doesn't it? It does, it does.
0: And obviously the other one you mentioned, Lamello Ball.
1: Lamello Ball, his season's done.
0: Absolutely done. Broken Which is hand. a shame
1: because Charlotte were looking all right. They're hovering around 500, possibly a fringe playoff team. I mean, does this finish them off? Well, they beat the Spurs today. True. I don't know if it does finish them off. I think they would be a strong candidate for a play-in game. But, gee, yeah, it'd be tough to win without him.
0: You can't imagine they'll do much damage, No, they wouldn't do much, yeah. I suppose the other big question is, does the fact that he's only played 41 games mean that the Zion rule applies and he can't win Rookie of the Year
1: anymore? That makes that very interesting now. Very interesting. Because he had pretty much one and a half hands firmly on that trophy prior to that.
0: I dare say it's got to be Anthony Edwards now, doesn't it? Could well
1: be. Could well be. So
0: he'll be rookie of the year with the worst team in the league.
1: Well, it's not; wouldn't be the first time. It no, would not be the last.
0: No, but uh, yeah. it is a shame. I mean, Lamelo obviously has had a superb season, and we, we spoke about this last season. And it's it's just a shame that we don't get to see whether he would have hit the wall or yeah. whether he would have continued to.
1: Or would he, you know, one. help lead an upset in the playoffs potentially? You
0: never know. He was trending up in the, the last few weeks. As Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's a real shame.
1: So, Stewie, rather than kind of dealing too long on the rumours, we'll come back to them once the trade deadline is over. But there are some big names, Aaron Gordon, Lonzo Ball. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. There has already been a trade, though. PJ Tucker.
0: Yeah, so Houston have traded PJ Tucker Rody and and Kuroks to Milwaukee for DJ Augustine and DJ Wilson.
1: Mm, the D- double DJ. Houston's obviously playing their party. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Turntables. tables. They just need to sign DJ and Benga.
0: <laughs> they could do it. Sorry. So look, before we get into this, I have to mention DJ Augustine joins a very elite club with this trade. He becomes just the seventeenth player in NBA history to play for ten or more teams.
1: Yeah, that's that is a big club. Yeah. yeah. So
0: look he's still got enough time actually to catch the quartet of Chucky Brown, Jim Jackson, Tony Massenberg, and Joe Smith with twelve teams.
1: Yep, plenty of time. <sighs> you gotta
0: feel for guys like that though. I mean, you've been in the league twelve years and play in ten different cities.
1: Yeah, when the minimum is more than a million bucks a season, yeah, but you know.
0: I mean, you still it,
1: it would be tough. It'd be it, tough. Just rent. Yeah. Don't buy. <laughs> well, but that,
0: but that's the thing, like, you've still got to start your family. I know Augustine is married. I don't know if he's got kids, but. Like, it's still going to be tough. Oh, I mean, yeah.
1: They are human beings. It is tough. I
0: mean, he's been in Orlando, Milwaukee, and now Houston just since the end of last season.
1: And Houston are clearly tanking. That's why they got rid of Tucker, who's a very fine player. That's a good deal for yeah. for Milwaukee.
0: And funnily enough, one of the few teams that he hasn't played for is the New Orleans Pelicans, and he grew up in New Orleans. So
1: Plenty of time.
0: And also, speaking of guys that have played on a lot of teams, just quickly, Trevor Ariza this week traded by OKC to Miami for Myers-Leonard and a 2027 second-round draft
1: pick. You have to wonder if Myers-Leonard will ever play again. He won't. Yeah.
0: This is the 11th time in Ariza's career that he's been traded. Yeah. An I awesome, was surprised. Awesome
1: record. Yeah, I couldn't believe that.
0: Anyway, let's, let's talk about this trade. So, I don't really care much about the Houston side of things. Because, no, as you said, they're tanking. They're tanking, yeah. Those two guys don't really do much. No. No. But I will just quick another side tangent because I know we love those Go on, things. yeah, of course. I was looking at DJ Wilson in the G League because I, I knew he hadn't been playing for the Bucks. I found he played up against some guys. Get these two names. Sir Dominic Pointer and Sir Dominic with a little apostrophe between Sir and Dominic. Yep. And Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman. I've, I've heard, heard of him, him. yes. Muhammad yeah. Ali hyphenated is his first name. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. that was so yeah, cool. I've heard of that guy, yeah. So, so cool. But no, look, the Bucks. Rodin Kuroks is a stretch four. He's been buried on the bench for the last couple of seasons. Which
1: I think Oh, it's just it's a throw in.
0: But I, I don't know, odd he had a really solid rookie season. But yeah, obviously the crown in this deal is the acquisition of PJ Tucker. Absolutely. He's an elite undersized defender, really great stretch four five. He plays a lot of centre in those small ball lineups. Yep. Look, he's been rubbish this year. And I think that's obviously largely down to the fact that he lost Harden and Westbrook. That makes sense. And
1: possibly motivation as a result.
0: That's it. But when Now
1: play, he goes to one of the best teams in the league.
0: Well, if you think about how useful he's going to be in a team with Giannis and Drew Holiday, who are looking for guys to stretch that floor. Yep. And he is one of the most lethal corner three-point shooters.
1: He's very handy. He hustles. He'll be a handy player for them. Definitely.
0: But look, once again, mate, the rich get richer.
1: Yeah, well, it's off in the way. It is off in the way. Now, Stewie. We've got to talk about Russell Westbrook getting those triple doubles.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like Russ might have heard my bold prediction a couple of weeks back. He said four this week alone. Uh, Good for you, Russ. I had to inspire you.
1: (laughs) Yes, thanks, Shaq. Thank you, Shaq. Yep, very nice.
0: But yeah, geez, this has been a year for triple doubles. How in vogue are they right now? Oh, yeah, big time. So the 2018-19 season was the season with the most recorded triple doubles at one hundred and twenty seven. Last season, that dipped a little bit, back to 100, largely because Russell Westbrook went from 34 to 8, and I guess the season was a little bit shorter. Less games, yeah. yep. But we're just past the halfway mark of the season. There's been 94 already this season. Mm. We had two firsts, actually, fairly recently as well, I wanted to talk about. Last Saturday, the first time ever, five players had triple-doubles on the same day. Yeah, that's crazy. So Westbrook, Giannis Antetokounmpo, DeMantis Sabonis, James Harden, and Julius Randle. Now, Westbrook and Giannis both had 30-point triple-doubles in the same game, which is just the sixth time that that's ever happened.
1: Very rare, yep.
0: For Giannis, the second time in Bucks history that a player's had back-to-back triple-doubles, joining the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes, indeed. And Julius Randle became the first Knicks since Mark Jackson in 1989 with multiple triple-doubles in one season.
1: Now, that did surprise me.
0: Yeah, you'd have thought a few guys would have been candidates. I mean, Alfred Payton we talk about from time to time. And I
1: think of those 90s guys, like even... Latrell Sprewell, Alan Houston, maybe even Larry Johnson
0: could have had one. Patrick Ewing with blocks.
1: Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was a big surprise. That yeah,
0: was. But then, last Thursday, there was six of them on the yeah. same day. <laughs> they, they won up themselves. Yeah. So you had James Harden, Ben Simmons, Draymond Green, Nikola Jokic, Demar Sabonis, and Russell Westbrook. So a few of the same names in there. Yeah. It's it's crazy, man. Mason Plumley has two this season.
1: Yeah, I was amazed. I mean, he's a great passer for a big, but geez, that is surprising.
0: They, do they have the same wow factor that they had five
1: years ago? I don't know. I mean, scoring's up and it helps when scoring's up. But I was looking at team averages for rebounds, right? So Milwaukee lead the league in rebounds at a shade under 50. So in order to get a triple-double, you need double-figure rebounds. That means you're getting at least a fifth of your team's rebounds if that's the best rebounding team in the comp. Yeah. So it is. it is a hard thing to do.
0: And look, there's a lot of articles out there about guys that go hunting for them. I mean, Westbrook's been tarnished with that brush.
1: Who was that player way back in the day who actually took a shot on the opponent's rim? Ricky Davis. Ricky Davis, that's right. And they actually took it away from him yeah. because it wasn't in the spirit of the game. Playing for Cleveland
0: against Utah. Yeah, yeah. After he
1: played for... Yeah, that's yeah, right.
0: Yeah, Stevenson shoved him after that. Yeah. It's um. Th- there's actually a really interesting article that I saw online. It was talking about... Certain players that that actually kind of seem to chase them a little bit yeah, more. Yeah. Yep. Interestingly enough, guys, the the guy that actually converted triple doubles more often than not when he got to those those sort of numbers, it's actually Jason Kidd.
1: Right. So yep. he's
0: technically the biggest triple double hunter in the league. Okay. In, in the history. Okay. So I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. But um. But yeah, it was sort of fascinating looking at you know bell curves around. The players that get nine are more likely to
1: get ten. Yep.
0: You know, because they go after
1: it. I remember a game a couple of seasons ago where Draymond gave up an open shot, which would have been a game winner, to throw a pass because he wanted that 10th assist. <laughs> and he said that famous quote, I was being selfishly unselfish. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, and I remember another one. I can't remember who the player was, but James Harden basically having a goal at a guy for taking the 10th rebound away from him and knocking it out of bounds.
1: Oh, well. One of the Houston bench yeah, players. But yeah, 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 no, good on you. Thank you, Houston bench player. <laughs>
0: But, like, the stats are kind of misleading sometimes. I mean, everyone sort of says, oh, you know, these players, they get triple-doubles, teams are more likely to win. The Warriors are 25-1 and 1 when Draymond Green gets a triple-double, which wow. is superb. Okay. Magic Johnson won 74% of his games. Larry Bird, 736 Bill Russell, 71% when they're getting triple-doubles. It's a
1: doubles. good sign of dominating a game.
0: But what do those guys all have in common?
1: Very good teams. Very good teams. Lots Very of champ- good teammates, Lots yeah. of
0: championship rings. Lots yep. of Hall of Famers around there. So, yeah. You know if you'd said to me that Mason Plumley had done that and had that sort of record that's when I'd be like whoa okay yeah we're gonna get Mason Plumley more assists. Yeah. <laughs> like, but uh, now look it, I think it has kind of lost a little bit of the luster that it had and uh, you know what number are we going to end up at the end of the season it's kind of like three pointers they've just gone through the roof
1: yeah well that's right that's true. Stewie, you know what that music means. What are you amped for?
0: Well, it's kind of hard to go past Geelong and Brisbane. We spoke about it earlier in the show. Rebatch of last year's prelim final. Both teams copying unexpected round one losses to salad dwellers from the previous season. Barring a draw, one of these teams is going to be 0-2. Yep. How about yourself, mate?
1: Well, I feel like I've said this like three times, but I'm apt to be going to the Wildcats. Hopefully, this is finally the game where I do actually get to use the tickets. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've had two false starts already yeah we'll see how that goes until next time i'm nate and i'm Stu. we are the sport place